Welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. Every Thursday, we go to the source of the story to open up the work behind beautiful new discoveries and cut through misinformation in the media. I'm your host, James, and today I'm bringing in a paper about optogenetics. I am your other host, Charlie. I won't even pretend to know what that means, and I have definitely not read this paper, so you can expect a lot of questions from me. Think mind control, Charlie. Think oh, mind control. No. <laughs> Except not quite. Charlie and I are both PhD students who read lots of papers for our own research. So this podcast is our way of sharing our love for science with anyone who wants to learn about the discoveries that affect us all. We are the Paper Boys. Okay, James, what the heck is optogenetics? Okay, so I will dive into this in more detail, but on a high level, optogenetics is a biological technique that uses light to control cells. Okay, that sounds like a technical way of saying something that sounds really scary. Uh, basically. <laughs> I'm picturing like that scene in Zoolander where he's getting hypnotized and he's strapped to the chair and they're showing him the relax, don't do it. <laughs> and there's like all these lights and stuff that are controlling his mind or programming him. If they had used gene therapy and the light stimulus was to control very particular sets of cells, then yes, Zoolander would count as optogenetics. All right. So Zoolander is a pretty accurate sci-fi movie is what you're saying. <laughs> Not at all. Okay. Not at all. And so the reason I chose optogenetics, this interesting technique that's been gaining a lot of steam the last 10 years but especially like the last couple of years, is because it seems like in the last week, there's just been a flurry of papers on these new devices that are coming out. And one in particular from Washington University in St. Louis that uh, is particularly cool. It was very successful and a really neat device. Okay, and this is the one that generated a lot of news articles. Yep, yep. So Science News came out with an article that said, a new implant uses light to control overactive bladders. Subtitle being Pee Patrol, oh, an man. implant to treat frequent sudden urges to urinate, exploits a technique typically used for controlling brain cells. Okay, so this is sounds like it has a medical application almost. Yes, absolutely. So optogenetics is being used to explore different types of clinical therapy, but also it's a really useful tool for just doing fundamental research in neuroscience and physiology. Okay, I'm a little lost on the link between light stimulation and how that could possibly do anything with your bladder but i'm i know that you will get to that so so maybe go on and i'll i'll hold my questions for a minute yeah so it, it, it may be a little bit uh insightful to talk about what they did first and then that'll explain why they used optogenetics gotcha and then i'll, I'll talk a little bit more about optogenetics themselves a couple other articles that have made it into the spotlight recently that we'll touch on are scientists use light to trigger killer instinct in mice from Whoa. the Guardian. Scientists use light to turn mice into stone cold killers, says the Washington Post. This is, this, sounds, this is different from the bladder thing. This is different than the bladder thing, but similar optogenetic technique. Okay. Um, that sound, this sounds really scary again. <laughs> yeah. And then controlling neurons with light but without wires or batteries was just another eh, Boring. Boring. <laughs> so then what is this paper? So the paper is entitled 
a wireless closed-loop system for optogenetic peripheral neuromodulation. Yes, of course. Super easy to digest, right? Yes, I know those words. So uh, if we break it down, basically they developed a small circuit that is implantable that can be used to turn on and off different functions of the peripheral nervous system, so away from the brain. All right. Is your spine, is your central nervous system, right? Brain and spine make up your central nervous system. And then peripheral is everything else. Yeah. So things coming away from your brain and spine. Okay. Yeah. In a nutshell. So uh, this paper, the first author is Aaron D. Michael Mickle um, from Washington University, Department of Medicine and Anesthesiology. There are like 12 different authors on it. Oh, wow. The lead author is John A. Rogers from Northwestern. He also has like 10 different appointments to other schools and stuff. So probably a big deal. Yeah. I looked him up. He's a big deal. Okay. Lots of publications. Really interesting work if you're interested in biomedical devices. So you kind of said at a high level what optogenetics is before, but I can't really understand it without understanding how it's applied. So in this paper, they're doing this technique, optogenetics, but they're trying to control the peripheral nervous system with a wireless closed loop system. How exactly, what exactly is their approach here? What are they trying to do? Okay, that's a great question. So they decided to look at the specific example of Um, urinary incontinence because it's a well-understood physiological problem. So there's a very specific nerve that controls your bladder. And they decided to use optogenetics to control it because optogenetics is very precise. Okay. And ideally, they'd be looking at cases where someone does not have control of this nerve and is maybe trying to regain control of it? Yeah. So one example is actually different types of chemotherapy can cause you to lose control of your bladder. Or really, or cause you to have to urinate more frequently, and which results in pain and is really bad for your general urinary system. Okay, that's actually the drug that they give these rats to induce it. But I'll get into that later. The rats that they study in this paper. Yep. Okay. And so, in short, uh, with optogenetics, using light to control a nerve, how do you get this nerve that usually doesn't respond to light to suddenly respond to light? I thought this was really cool. In like it just takes a lot of creativity to think of it, but they actually genetically modify the herpes simplex virus. This Whoa. is a, people know like herpes, like cold sores and stuff like that. Yeah, but it actually resides in the peripheral nervous system, and it's been shown that herpes targets specific types of peripheral nervous cells. Really? Yep. And so they could actually genetically engineer it to include this protein, so that when the virus attacks this specific cell that controls the bladder, it injects this new protein that now responds to light and will actually give them the ability to control this nervous cell on and off. This is crazy. This is like genetic engineering or biological engineering at just the craziest level. And I'm starting to understand why there's 13 authors. <laughs> yeah, it takes a lot of expertise to come up with something like this and implement it. But so they're using the fact that naturally herpes will attack this nerve, but then they're putting a little protein of their own on it. Like a little Trojan horse, basically. Yeah. Proteins inside that herpes horse. The herpes horse goes to the nerve and then <laughs> they, and then <laughs> releases this protein, which is turns out to now be advantageous for their situation. Yeah. And this, this is a huge body of research called gene therapy, but this okay. is a very specific instance of it. And okay. it's crazy. I mean, like, imagine you, like, coughed on someone and they get sick and then suddenly, like, they glow... <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. They've got one of these proteins in them, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not naturally occurring. So now the nerve is sensitive to light because of this protein. 
Mm-hmm. What does that really change, though? How do they actually cause the nerve to react? So that's that's the primary thing that this paper is about. The system that they designed then to control the nerve now that it's sensitive to light. And so essentially what they did was they made this little implantable circuit that's wirelessly powered. So there's no batteries, no cables or anything. They can fully embed it surgically. Wait, it's wirelessly powered like the way that my phone charges on one of those pads? Yeah. Same same thing? mm -hmm. So this rat lives in a cage that has wireless power coming into it. So it's constantly charging this device. Oh, that kind of makes me feel weird. Imagining having something in me that's charging up. Yeah, it's pretty strange. Yeah. Um, Very cyborg-esque. So the system is just really cool. Uh, I could talk about it for hours, but obviously we don't have that much time. I mean, I'm sure you could. This is kind of similar to your own research, these implantable devices. Low power, yeah. 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 So So can you give me the high level then of what their specific device is doing? Yeah. So they they came up with this very novel way of actually measuring the capacity of the bladder. So they came up with their own little strain gauge that wraps around the rat's bladder. Whoa. So, So imagine like when we were a kid and you had braces those little rubber bands that were put around it. Yeah. So they have pictures in the paper of the surgical installation of the strain gauge, and it just wraps around the bladder. Wait, like they're actually putting a rubber band around the bladder? They're actually putting this rubber band around the bladder that can measure the capacity. Oh, this is all making me wince a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. Wait, does that hurt the rat? They do. They did a lot of tests to make sure that it does not hurt the rat. So they looked at how much uh, the tension of the strain gauge would deform the bladder because it's like if it's squeezing it and deforming the bladder, that's really bad. Yeah. And so minimal deformation, they said 2% deformation, which basically okay. from other studies they could say would not affect the rat. And then they did a lot of different tests to look at sort of quality of life and quality of movement. And the rat was able to run around, it gained weight, it behaved like a normal healthy rat. And it's actually cool. There are some tests you can do to measure pain response especially in relation to bladders and they said at least from those previous studies and using that methodology they did not think that the rat was suffering because of this it okay. didn't show any pain response like maybe they were uncomfortable but there was nothing clearly bad about this i'm sure no one feels good after surgery. i know yeah <laughs> um i'm imagining when you have to pee and then someone like punches you in the stomach and you're like oh oh yeah hopefully it's not that bad <laughs> yeah our little guys So then they had this strain gauge around the bladder. What was the part of the device that caused the nerve to get stimulated? Okay, good question. So they're measuring the bladder. Then they have this really, really small little microchip that's essentially like a small computer. So it's measuring the capacity of the bladder. From that, they were actually able to back out like when the rat had to pee. So they could define this protocol of like, this rat has to go too often. You could measure that from the oh, bladder. Oh, I see. And then what was neat is so if they detect that the rat has to go too often, they turn on the LEDs that inhibits the bladder from having to contract and make them pee. And so essentially by turning on the light, they can keep the rat from having to pee too often. All right. So there's kind of a lot of things going on in this study. If I'm understanding correctly, is the, the strain gauge is actually measuring how full their bladder is right? Yeah, exactly. Because you think you can't ask a rat if it has to pee or not. Yeah. So they'd come up with some automatic way of measuring that. Okay. So you're imagining if the bladder is more full, that rubber band's going to be more stretched out and the gauge is measuring how stretched out the rubber band is. 
Yes. Okay. So then that data will look like this cyclical thing where it's filling up, filling up, filling up, getting bigger and bigger, and then it'll suddenly get much smaller when the rat pees. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. Here. Okay. So James is showing me a plot here. It's this slow rise and then a quick drop off and then this slow rise and then a quick drop off. And that quick drop off is every time they pee. Yes. And so from that type of measurement, they can look at how frequently is this rat peeing? Yep. And some of these rats, they're actually giving drugs to, to make them incontinent, like they'll pee more. Yeah. And so with those rats that they've given incontinence, they can see this higher frequency of the rising and falling. And then maybe they're going to activate this light thing and then see that frequency go back to normal. Is that the idea? Yeah, that's exactly it. And okay. they did a couple different test cases because there are a lot of complex variables going on here. You know, there's optogenetics and gene therapy. There's this drug that they're giving them to give them urinary incontinence. Yeah. So they were pretty thorough in differentiating between the different cases to make sure that this device is actually what's causing them to stop having to pee so often. And it's actually the device that's solving the problem. Yeah, I'm sure they had to have a lot of controls. Yeah. And they were able to sum it up pretty succinctly in one graph. So you can see here, there's a graph of a few of the different rats. And you can see that after they've been given this drug that makes them incontinent, the rat that has the device with the LED on has to pee much less than the other rats. Okay, so are all of these, so this, it's kind of just a bunch of dots along this time scale. Are each of those dots like a time that the rat had to pee? Yep, those are different events where okay. the rat peed. This is, this is, you're right, this is good. And I know you're a big sucker for good figures, so I'm glad you're showing me this. Uh, but you can see, yeah, that one rat, or the not the one, but the rat that they're showing here, it's very stark difference between the ones that have the incontinence and the rat that has this light therapy thing going on. Like there's way fewer dots. Yeah, yeah, much fewer. So just looking at this graph, you can see the system is doing something useful. Wait, so what does this device actually look like? If it's inside the rat and it's got all these measurements going on, this rising and falling and stuff. Yeah, that's a great question. So it's kind of like two different parts. Imagine a clear circular band-aid that's maybe two or three centimeters in diameter. And on this are a couple of really small little microchips. That's where the, like, the computing's happening. Okay. And then you have this tail that's coming off of it that's maybe three or four centimeters long. And there's a little light that can turn on and off for the optogenetics. And then a small one of those little black rubber bands like from braces. And that's the sensor. Oh, I see. So the light is really pinned right up against the bladder. Right up against the nerves that control it. Exactly. Interesting. And then that little clear band-aid with the chips on it, I'm assuming that's some sort of like flexible chip or of, of some kind. Yeah, it's a flexible circuit board. And so then that's just surgically implanted beneath the skin, but above the muscle. Oh, which is a I pretty see. safe place to surgically implant those things. Okay. And so it probably doesn't really bother the rat all that much? No, no. Okay. So the actual circuitry that's inside the rat, like within the rat, is very small. It's just like a little small wire and a light. And yep. then obviously the, the rubber band. Yep, exactly. Wow. Okay. That I mean, I'm sure the rats are fine, but doesn't sound like something I'd want in my body. <laughs> it doesn't sound very comfortable. Yeah. So were they able to permanently fix the rat's incontinence or was it only when they were able to give signals to the chip? So from the paper, it looks like they did tests for about seven days after surgery. So there are some lingering questions about how viable is this long term. Okay. They did a post-test biopsy of the bladder tissue. So they 
cut some of the bladder tissue and examined it from the rats that had this strain gauge around it. And they didn't notice any difference. Like, it didn't seem like over this one-week period that the strain gauge was causing any damage to the tissue. Okay. that's really positive. That's good, yeah. And as I mentioned before, like, the rats seemed healthy and generally happy from a rat perspective. Like, they ate, they gained weight, they did normal activities. Okay. Um, So that's really promising. It'll be really interesting to see. I'm sure they'll do future study, like, long-term studies with this and see, you know, do any long-term complications arise from it? Yeah, I mean, the natural question is, could you do this with a person one day? Yeah, it's really interesting that you bring that up because that's obviously the direction that they'd like to bring this. So they've gone from mice to rats. So this case is rats. And it's like, what would it take to actually do this in humans? And they did do some legwork to at least prove off the bat that maybe this would be possible. So when they were doing the initial tests uh, with the gene therapy and optogenetics, they did some uh, cell cultures. So like in a Petri dish, they had some living bladder cells and they had cells from a rat and a human being. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And were there similar effects between the two? Yeah. So more or less, they were able to show that you could turn on or off this nerve uh, in a human bladder as well. Okay. I mean, that's very promising. Yeah, yeah. One of the big obstacles at the moment, though, is the introduction of gene therapy into clinical medicine. Yeah. And if you have to infect people with herpes to make this work, <laughs> who's going to sign up? Yeah, exactly. I don't know if you actually st- like still have herpes after they do this. Like, who? I don't know. Yeah. Well, that'd be an interesting question. But just to give you an idea of like how this is progressing, at least in the US, in 2013, there were zero approved gene therapies. So you'd have to use gene therapy to do optogenetics. Okay. Um, But now in 2019, I looked earlier today, and there are about 15 FDA-approved gene therapies. Really? Wait, meaning 15 specific instances where people got it, or there's 15 different types of gene therapy? 15 approved therapies for, I don't think for optogenetics, I'm not sure exactly what they all do, but just for different types of medical treatment. Okay, so there could be millions of people getting gene therapy now. Yeah, possibly. Wow. I, I think cancer is one application. Wow. Okay. That's, again, very promising. Yeah. So, you know, will you see this in a year on the market? No, okay. absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> will you see it in 10 years? Uh, that's probably still a stretch. But, you know, maybe in 20 years, like this could make a big difference for a lot of people. I mean, yeah, right now it all sounds feasible. It doesn't sound like there's anything. Well, what is the biggest lingering question here? So there are, there are questions. So one thing is the density of tissue between rats and humans is pretty different, I guess, for the nerves that they're trying to uh, turn on and off. So that may be problematic when you're actually doing like in vivo tests in a human. Oh, I see. In the cell culture, it's like the density would be the same because you're just targeting like one cell. Okay. But they'd uh, have to somehow scale this device appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. And humans don't live in cages. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully so uh and you know day to day at least so, they don't like to at least they don't like to so uh you'd have to come up with another external device to power this and get the data off okay uh so maybe like some sort of belt that you could wear to okay power it up but they've had a lot of success with like glucose monitors that are similar to that and then just you know physiologically rats and humans are different like i don't think we fully understand always the systematic effects of doing things like gene therapy Right. So you'd really want to make sure you're not just, you know, destroying something unknowingly. Okay. Yeah. So long way to go, like we said, but 
All of these are questions that can be answered. Yes. What gets tricky are some of the ethical considerations with this and like a lot of other biomedical implants. You're installing this like closed loop system, so the system that's autonomous inside of a human being. And, uh, you know, it may not seem really important, but like it could really affect someone's sense of like free will yeah. if they're dependent on it. So I know that sounds kind of like touchy-feely for a science article, but... But I mean, if this little device is telling you when you're going to pee... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What if it malfunctions? What if... There are a lot of what ifs you could ask. Right. And those what ifs might lead to saying, there's got to be a better solution to this problem. Yeah, exactly. Huh. So you mentioned like kind of a while ago now that they have been stepping this up and they went from mice to rats. And I then that made me remember at the beginning of the article, you were talking about these killer mice. Oh, yeah. And then we never talked about that. And I'm like, wait, what? What is that? <laughs> so, ethi- yeah, ethical considerations. It turns out optogenetics, they found they can use to turn on this, like, killer instinct gene in mice. And this is in the brain itself. So they have a little device implanted in their brain. They turn on the light and this mouse that's, like, previously very docile and friendly, just, like, hanging out with this food pellet, turns into this vicious animal that'll attack anything in the cage. Really? Yeah. Oh, man, that's so scary. I have a video if you want that to see. That is like Zoolander. Oh, video? Yes. Let's see it. Oh, that mouse looks very nice. Oh, my God. You can see right when the light turns on. It's, yeah. So this mouse has like a giant cable sticking out of its head. And they literally turn on a light. It's like a little blue light. And as soon as it goes on, this mouse just attacks these little bugs. Yeah, so that's the activation of those cells right when the light turns on. Like, he looks all nice. He's just sniffing it, kind of putzing around the cage. Yeah, this, oh, wow, this is actually with a live cricket. And then they turn it on, and now he's trying to, he's trying to kill the cricket. It's so sad. Oh. So, obviously, like, if some evil organization was going to implant tons of mice with this and just send out these killer mice, like, that's not very ethical. If they are going to do that, I hope that they use this as their doomsday music yes this is intense that would be ethical (laughs) (laughs) well that's really scary that's the kind of thing that is seems like the zoolander sci-fi type thing yeah i mean it it almost is exactly like the zoolander plot right there just with a light instead of relaxed under it (laughs) yeah they're gonna sick all these mice on the malaysian prime minister Yeah, who knows what their intentions are. Well, that's crazy. This is like a whole field I never knew about, and now I'm going to be irrationally afraid of when I hear about it in the future. (laughs) Right. Uh, On that note, how were the news articles on this? Any fear-mongering? So generally, the news articles were okay in talking about the technology. Okay. Um, I think, as I've found for many news articles, when it came to some of the nuances of like how reliable the technology is, they gloss over that a little bit, which rubs me the wrong way in the sense that it spreads this idea that like science, that this like cutting edge research is like everywhere and like everyone is using optogenetics now to make their mouse and mice into killers and to right solve urinary incontinence and that like random in, things like that. In five years, you're going to have a brain implant that'll let you turn off pain in your arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are so far away from that. Yeah. But you know, like generally for what they were, the articles did pretty good. I did not like Science News's little subtitle though on Pee Patrol. <laughs> I just, I mean, I laughed. 
like it was a success there. But, They're not uh, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, also people had some issues like talking about uh, peripheral nervous system versus central nervous system. I see. And differentiating between some of the types of research, but I'll give them a break. Okay. Yeah. So, but it sounds like overall, this was pretty decently covered. Yes. Yes. And okay. keep your ears open because I think there'll be a lot more news coming out about it soon. In fact, it was nature's hottest trend of the year in 2010 and one of the biggest discoveries of the decade. Really? Yeah. Nature, the journal or the nature, journal. The, the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The universe came together through a, a stunning vote. Mother nature uh, declared. Nature, the publication. Okay. They, wait, they named this uh, ho- the hottest trend? The hottest new method of 2010. Wow. Man, it sound, that sounds like a, you know, some fashion magazine, like sexiest man 2019 or yeah. <laughs> hottest new diet trend. Best new sedan. Yeah. Hottest new I scientific method. I never realized that nature did that same kind of listing. Yeah. I hope, I hope the founder got invited to some swanky dinner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Got on the cover of a magazine or something. Put, yeah. Blow that up. Put it on your office wall. Yeah, except if you're a scientist, it's like you really just want your little circuit board on that cover. Oh, definitely, yeah. I hope someone's circuit board made it onto a cover. Yeah, that's cool. So this is a potential game changer. The For way that we types of therapies, yeah. The way that everyone's been talking about, like CRISPR, like, oh, it's going to change everything. Like optogenetics could also change everything in a different field. Yeah, I think it'll change everything in the sense of like, it'll be a readily used method that a lot of people are going to do, or that a lot of people are going to use to do just really interesting science and uncover a lot of things. That's cool. That's very awesome. And I'm glad that you taught me about it. Yeah. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you want to learn more, we'll be posting the nature paper as well as some of the news articles and the scary video onto our website, paperboyspodcast.com. Don't forget to share this episode on social media if you can, uh, or share it with a friend who is interested in science. Our Twitter and Instagram handles are at paperboyspod. If you have any other episode ideas, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. And of course, please join us next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening. Paper Boys.